Oral questions by members. Leader of the official opposition. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, this coming Monday, BC will become the last province in Canada and the only jurisdiction in North America to ban unvaccinated healthcare workers from their own healthcare system. While Nova Scotia joins the rest of North America in dropping vaccine mandates, BC stubbornly clings to its nonsensical and divisive policy. BC has long been an outlier. Apparently, the science is different in every other jurisdiction in North America. And I just want this House to remind this House, I was the first leader and BC United was the first party to call for the return of thousands of unvaccinated healthcare workers back on June 22, 2022. Back on June 22, 2022, nearly two years ago. So my question to the Premier is this. Will the Premier finally rehire the health care workers that they fired or will he stubbornly sideline health care professionals while BC's health care system continues its collapse? Minister of Health. Thank you very much, uh, Honourable Speaker. Uh, the uh, House will know that the vaccine mandate referred to by the Leader of the Opposition, one the Opposition, by the way, the BC United Opposition, called for and applauded when it was introduced. Thank you. Is is, Honourable Speaker, uh, the result of a provincial health order. The purpose of that provincial health order was to protect the most vulnerable British Columbians during the COVID-19 pandemic. It is an order by the provincial health officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry, who is a world-leading scientist and, I think, an extraordinary provincial health officer in British Columbia. Also... I, in fact, Honourable Speaker, have heard members of the opposition uh, brag, Honourable Speaker, that she was hired under a BC Liberal government as Deputy Provincial Health Officer by them because of her outstanding qualities. We continue to act to protect patients in British Columbia from COVID-19. There are people living in hospital right now with COVID-19 in the hundreds in British Columbia. And just because uh, the Leader of the Opposition wants to overturn a public health act that was introduced under a BC Liberal government because of some sort of race to the bottom amongst opposition parties doesn't mean that we aren't going to continue to respect the Provincial Health Officer and her orders. Leader of the Official Opposition, Supplemental. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, with that answer, it is no surprise that we have a collapsing health care system right. here in British Columbia because I have spoken to health care professionals who were terminated, including a nurse <coughs> who ran the emergency department at Langley Hospital, a hospital, by the way, which is regularly diverting patients because they haven't got enough 
nurses to actually look after those patients. And we can't afford to lose these kind of highly skilled healthcare professionals at a time when we so desperately need them. We've also heard from nurses, Mr. Speaker, like Linda Drew, a fired registered nurse with over 20 years experience, who still is teaching the nursing program at UBC Okanagan in Kelowna. And Linda says, and I quote, the current mood in healthcare is one of defeat. We are constantly short-staffed. You have already lost so many of these nurses and healthcare workers to Alberta and the United States, end of quote. And this at a time when we learn that BC once again has the longest wait times at walk-in clinics in the entire country. That's their record. So when, when will this Premier finally listen to Linda and listen to every other jurisdiction in North America, bring back these healthcare workers and help our healthcare system today? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, the fact is that British Columbia has led Canada in recruiting new nurses and net new nurses. Well, Alberta has lost nurses in the last number of years. I mean, I mean the, 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 the Minister may believe that the Canadian Institute for Health Information is an NDP front. The Leader of the Opposition may believe that, Honourable Speaker, but it's incorrect. The facts are the facts. 99% plus of healthcare workers in British Columbia got vaccinated because getting vaccinated was good for them and good for patients, Honourable Speaker. Honourable Speaker, in the last, uh, in the last nine months, Honourable Speaker, BC has added net new more than 700 family doctors. In the last year, Honourable Speaker, Members, 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 members. Honourable Speaker, uh, the facts are the facts, Honourable Speaker. From 2009 to 2016, not per capita, not per capita, but in actual numbers, in a time of a rising population and an aging population, we lost registered nurses net in British Columbia starting in 2009 when the Leader of the Opposition was Minister of Health, Honourable Speaker. We have led Canada in hiring new nurses because we support our public health care workers. When our provincial health officer makes a decision around vaccines, for example, Honourable Speaker, we don't start by applauding it and calling for it and then turning around afterwards because the Conservative Party is advocating and making a different approach. We stick to our position because we support. We stick to our position because we support Dr. Bonnie Henry and we support healthcare workers in British Columbia. Member for Skina. Mr. Speaker, uh, the NDP government in our province has introduced a new rule. They're saying, calling ourselves, and I quote, British Columbians, end quote, isn't right because it's exclusionary. I couldn't, I couldn't believe this until I read it on the website. Are you kidding? We're all Canadians. We're all British Columbians. And we've got bigger problems to solve. We have a housing crisis. We don't have doctors. 
We have an affordability problem. Instead of fixing these problems, the NDP is spending time and money trying to control what words British Columbians can and can't use and creating division. This effort to erase history and foster division is offensive. My question is to the Premier, what are you guys doing? <laughs> Government House Leader. Thank you so much, Honourable Speaker. And the member is correct. There are some serious issues in this province that we need to be taking head on, and we discuss them. But spending important time talking about a terminology statement on a website that was uh, designed to just advise uh, staff on how to use terminology when talking to about British Columbians in Indigenous communities is not the best use of our time, Honourable Speaker. The Premier yesterday, the Premier yesterday, six times. Member, member. The, the, the member talks about yesterday. The Premier used British Columbians six times in his response and question period yesterday, Honourable Speaker. There are important issues for us to be dealing with. Let's talk about housing. Let's talk about childcare. Let's talk about the important things we want for our communities. But spending time talking about something that uh, that is really not an issue at all in anybody's life right now is is a waste of uh, taxpayer dollars. It's a waste of people's time. Honourable Speaker. Member for Skin, supplemental. Mr. Speaker, uh, I was a councillor for eight years. I was a chief counsel for six years. I chaired the Aboriginal Business Development Council for the BC government. Not once did we talk about the idea that we shouldn't call ourselves British Columbians. In fact, in all those years, all we talked about was housing, affordability, poverty, as First Nations leaders all across BC and Canada do. This is identity politics again, creating Creating division, just like the land, the land Management Act amendments that they just previously backed off on, pitting natives against non-natives for political purposes. I agree, we've got bigger problems to solve. But controlling what we say in terms of who we are and where we come from, that's, that's not a problem that British Columbians are facing. Whether we're born here or moved here, we're Canadians and British Columbians. There's no need for this type of language coming from the BC NDP government. I have family and friends, native and non-native, and I call them British Columbians because we are British Columbians. When will the Premier abandon this stupidity that only drives people apart instead of trying to achieve reconciliation? Honourable Speaker, uh, again, I agree with the member that there are a lot of serious issues that British Columbians are dealing with. Um, and uh, it's sad that we're here in question period talking about this topic. The Premier yesterday used British Columbians six times in his responses. I've used British Columbians probably five times already in my response. Uh, and so nobody is uh, giving anybody, uh, there's no rules being set around what you can say, what you can't say. Uh, let's use this time and question period to actually take on the important issues that British Columbia is going to talk about. House Leader of the Third Party. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Last fall, uh, I drew a comparison to, uh, between the amount of money that the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General has invested 
in the RCMP's Controversial Community Industry Response Group, the CURG, and the implementation of the calls to justice in the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls report, the Minister was furious with this line of questioning, yet transcripts uh, released during court proceedings illustrate perfectly how the RCMP's CURG unit has dehumanized Indigenous people. Much of the language used in the recordings is inappropriate for this House, Mr. Speaker, but basically the CURG officers were calling Indigenous people ogres, orcs, they made uh, fun of neurodiverse, a neurodiverse person and openly described a high-ranking member of that unit uh, sexually assaulting somebody. Human rights violations, excessive force, illegal tactics, unprofessional behavior, racism, discrimination, a shame on the RCMP, a shame on this minister, a shame on this House. Mr. Speaker, through you to the Minister of Public Safety, is there an ongoing investigation to the alleged sexual assault described by the Kurd members? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable, uh, Honourable Speaker. What I can tell the member uh, is that uh, the kind of comments that the member references are absolutely, obviously unacceptable and completely unacceptable. And I think all members in this House would, uh, would agree with that. Uh, at the same time, there are um, uh, proceeds and protocols in place for complaint procedures and to deal with this kind of thing. Uh, some of which are underway, as you, as you uh, 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 acknowledge a, uh, a court, uh, court case. I can also tell the, uh, the member that uh, part of the work uh, that has been underway in terms of the, uh, the reform of the Police Act is to deal with these kinds of things, to, ex to, to extend accountability uh, and oversight uh, on our police forces uh, in, this, uh, in this province. House Leader, third party supplemental. I would, I would imagine, Mr. Speaker, that when uh, the uh, police forces in this province are made aware of a potential sexual assault, that perhaps uh, an investigation would be necessary and not the requirement of the person uh, who, uh, who is involved in that to have to file a complaint. It seems like it, the, the conversation between these, the members of these units was, was quite open about uh, what was going on there, Mr. Speaker. Uh, the CERG the has uh, vastly exceeded their projected budget year over year. In their first year, in 2019-2020, uh, they were uh, budgeted 920000 yet they spent $10 million. Uh, Each year, this unit uh, continues to receive funding and then blow past uh, their budgets. Uh, the RCMP's uh, Civilian Re uh, Review Complaints Commissioner is currently undertaking a systemic uh, investigation of the Kerg unit, an investigation that has experienced uh, significant delays because the RCMP is not giving them information. The BC Civil Liberties Association, the Union of BC Indian Chiefs have called for the Kirk to be disbanded uh, due to the ongoing human rights violations and harm to Indigenous communities. Mr. Speaker, through you to the Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General, with the allegations that we heard on tape, the racist and demeaning comments uh, on the record, the picking on neurodiverse people, laughing about an incident that basically amounts to sexual assault, Mr. Speaker, does the Kirk still have the confidence of this minister? Solicitor General. Thank you, uh, Honourable, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate the question. Uh, as I said a moment ago, we expect uh, police to conduct themselves in line with the standards that are in place for policing, and if they are not, then uh, they should be held accountable for that. Uh, again, I'd say that every member of this House agrees with that. At the same time, the member talks about the, the budget for the CERG. Well, the CERG is established to assist those communities that have been dealing with some of the challenges that we've been facing in terms of protests and in terms of enforcing 
uh, court-ordered uh, injunctions in this province. And the result of the budget is based on the amount that's actually had to have been spent in, or in order for uh, police to be able to do that job, Honourable Speaker. Uh, and and the, the, the amount is based on a rolling average over the last three years. And it started off, as the member said, at 900000 But what we have seen in some uh, different parts of the province, particularly on some of the LNG pipelines, as a significant amount of resources uh, required in order to deal with some often extremely violent protests. So, Honourable Speaker, our expectation is that those engaged in, in law enforcement are obeying the, uh, the laws and the standards in the province of British Columbia and Canada, and at the same time also recognize that they have an important job to do in enforcing sometimes court-ordered injunctions to ensure that legal lawful activity is allowed to take place in our province. Member for Abbotsford South. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. You know, the first record of my family in the province of British Columbia goes back to the year of 1862. My great-great-grandfather, John Morton, was one of the first pioneers in the area known today as Vancouver. Like many Canadian immigrants, he came here to British Columbia to earn a better living, to create a future for his family, and to help build a community in this great province. I'm proud to call myself a British Columbian, and I'm proud to call myself a Canadian. This province and this country has been built, has been a beacon of hope to so many in an often divided and turbulent world. People from all backgrounds and all parts of the world come here to escape violence, persecution, and crippling poverty. They come here because BC is, bar none, the best place in the world. Mr. Speaker, I find it deeply troubling that under this BC NDP, BC government website would describe the term British Columbians as one that excludes some people, not just Indigenous, but also, also people who have come to, come to Canada and British Columbia. Mr. Speaker, I believe we are British Columbians in this province, no matter where you come from, how you worship, or who you love. Miss, my question to the Premier. Do you believe that we are all British Columbians? Government House Leader. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, there is a lot of serious issues uh, in this province. People are struggling to find housing. People are, uh, you know, wanting to ensure that we're talking about how we strengthen our public health care system, how we. Uh, are continuing to find ways to create employment opportunities, good-paying jobs for families. And here we are talking about an issue that I don't think most people are really focused on. I'm a proud British Columbian. My colleagues are proud about being British Columbians. I'm proud to be a Canadian. I represent this country uh, at the national level, international level in sport. I'm proud of the, the national anthem. Um, but are we really going to use our time here right now talking about this topic? The Premier yesterday referred to members, members, Minister, continue. The Premier referred to uh, British Columbians six times. I've referred to a British Columbian six times. People can continue to refer them or themselves in whichever way they like. Um, but let's talk about important issues that British Columbians want us to talk about because, uh, you know, most people will be watching this right now will be wondering why are they not talking about the issues that matter to us in our lives. And, uh, and that's what we're going to continue to focus on on our side of the house. Member for 
Member for Abbotsford South Supplemental. Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. You know, this NDP government is relentlessly focused on dividing British Columbians. Your website. Your website. Member fact, has the floor. In fact, Mr. Speaker, this NDP government says on a government website, and I quote, the term British Columbians excludes newcomers and refugees. This, this, this minister can try and dismiss that all he wants and make light of that all he wants. Mr. Speaker, I believe that newcomers and refugees are British Columbians, just like everyone else who calls our great province home and has a desire to belong here and live here. Mr. Speaker, my question to the Premier. Will you apologize here and now to British Columbia's Indigenous peoples, newcomers and refugees for claiming that they are not British Columbians? Government House Leader. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. Um, th that's just nonsense. Uh, I've said already... Uh, I, I don't understand what world uh, the opposition is uh, living in right now. People are struggling with many things in their, in their lives, and, and, and we're here talking about this. I'm a proud British Columbian. You're a proud British Columbian. Let's continue to do the work that British Columbians sent us here to do. Member for Proxville, Qualicum. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. And I, too, would like to talk about a definition on a provincial website, but a very different one, and that is related to short-term rentals. Parksville is a unique community that depends on our tourism industry, and the short-term rental rules are still very unclear to many property owners in Parksville proper. I have communicated with the ministry staff on this through my office. I've even given the minister a heads up. I have two specific properties I'm hoping for some clarity on, uh, as are the countless owners who own these units. Oceanside Village Resort and Sunrise Ridge are two strata hotels in our community. They have strata bylaws that require that they follow zoning, and that zoning does not allow for long-term stays. Uh, one of these properties has a, a non-mandatory rental pool. These, to all intents and purposes, are hotels. The guests would not know the difference. The question through to the Minister, which has been asked for months now from people in my community, will Oceanside Village Resorts and Sunrise Ridge be exempted from the new strata rules? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker, and uh, thank the member for uh, um, sharing a few minutes ago with my staff uh, the question that, uh, that he was going to ask. Uh, I think it's important to note, uh, and I think the member knows this, that his community has a 1.2% vacancy rate. Uh, people are struggling to find housing in not only his community, but communities throughout British Columbia. We need to ensure that this housing remains available to British Columbians uh, so that uh, people can have a home. Uh, and then we can also attract the important workforce that we need. Uh, and I know in that community, members' community, uh, attracting healthcare workers, et cetera. Now, um, the member also, I appreciate acknowledging that um, my staff have been working closely with him. And uh, as the emails come forward from different stakeholders, we are trying their fastest to provide every single one uh, unique answers to their unique questions. Uh, just as of yesterday, um, and, uh, and I can share with a member that strata hotel accommodations 
that operate like hotel or motel uh, can continue to do so. Um, there are some uh, unique uh, situations with some of the strata hotels of the way they're structured, and, and the member knows we're engaging with them right now on uh, a path forward. Member Supplemental. Thank you, Speaker. The challenge is, is that these people are not getting answers. These people have mortgage payments on these properties, and they don't know what the rules are because the staff that they're contacting in the minister's office don't know what the rules are. It's incredibly frustrating to not have clarity as the deadline approaches. It's having tremendous impact on our tourism industry. Um, I hope that at some point before these rules come into force that these property owners will have the answers that they're seeking. Uh, but I guess my follow-up question is through to the Minister of Tourism, Arts, Culture and Sport. The City of Parksville has 946 hotel rooms. That includes these strata units that we've talked about, Oceanside Village Resorts, Beach Acres, Ocean Trails, Ocean Sands and Sunrise Ridge. 289 units out of our 900 are captured potentially by these new rules. To the Minister of Tourism, Arts, Culture and Sports, if we lose a third of our hotel accommodation going into summer this year in a tourism-dependent community, what is that ministry doing to ensure that our community is not negatively impacted? Minister of Housing. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. And again, um, appreciate the member's question. And I've already shared with him uh, multiple times. And I appreciate he wants it on the record, which is we are right now working with these strata hotels to ensure that if they're operating like a hotel or motel, that they'll be continuing to be able to do so. Um, that's a commitment I made to the, the members. Minister will continue. I, 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 the official opposition leader used his question uh, on, uh, on a topic that most British Columbians are not even thinking about, and he's criticizing the member to ask a question that actually relates to something that's important to his community. <laughs> I actually appreciate a serious question today and question period from the member across the way. And again, my commitment, again, my commitment uh, to uh, the member was, as well as to the, um, the operators of these uh, strata hotel accommodations, is we're going to continue to work with them uh, on a path forward. Member for Vancouver Langara. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. The NDP government's secretive handling of the Land Act amendments has fueled division and a crisis of trust. First, they launched the so-called consultation without any public notice. Next, they declared that legislation would be drafted even before the end of the public comment period. But when the public caught wind, the NDP government's response was to hastily and secretly alter the online engagement document, changing the rules of the game in secret. Who launches a consultation without informing the public? Who drafts amendments in secret, then quietly replaces the engagement document to suit their narrative? It's this Premier's NDP government. That's who. How can the Premier expect British Columbians, including Indigenous peoples, to have any trust in this government when every step they have taken has undermined transparency and accountability? Minister of Water, Land and Resource Stewardship. Thank you for the question. Uh, a couple of important things. When talking about the ability to engage British Columbians on such an important issue as this, we have said from the beginning we'll take the time necessary to get it right, which is exactly what we're doing. We've been the opposition leader scoffs, but I'll read him some quotes from people that he might be interested in because he's clearly not interested in hearing 
Well, I'll read both sides of this conversation. From the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, CAP and its members express its appreciation for the dedicated efforts of the Ministry in fostering dialogue with all parties, including the business community in recent weeks. We remain steadfast in our partnering with Treaty 8 nations where operations are located. From the Association of Mineral Exploration, AME supports the government's commitment to the implementation of DRIPA. We thank the Minister for listening and engaging with AME for its members. But let me read the other part of this conversation from the First Nations Leadership Council, Grand Chief Stuart Phillip. We're absolutely disgusted that the opposition leaders of the BC United and BC Conservatives leveraged the proposed Land Act amendments as a shameless opportunity for partisan political gain. And from Chief Terry Tiji. I'm not Members. sure if the opposition leader understands the gravity of the conversation that we're attempting to have and that the divisive... Members, 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 please. Members, order. Minister will, minister will continue. And that Grand Chief, uh, excuse me, Regional Chief Terry Chiji said, BC First Nations have fought relentlessly for recognition of our basic human rights and the commitment to shared decision-making. And I'll, I'll end here. Leader of the official opposition recently said in an interview just on February 13th that the Declaration Rights of Indigenous Peoples Act was, quote, an aspirational document. It's not an aspirational document. It's the law. It's, it's the law members, that requires... Members, members, members. the law that requires us to together... The minister to work, will conclude. ...that allows us to work together on a path of shared decision-making, which up until a few weeks ago was the official opposition's policy, and I'll quote that, consent-driven shared decision-making. That is the work that we will actually continue to do. It is the work that we need to do together in a respectful way, listening to each other in a meaningful dialogue, and that's exactly what this government will continue to do. Official opposition house leader. Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, today we're actually seeing more uncertainty on our land base than ever before. That's happening under this Premier and the NDP. And the result of all of this uh, NDP uncertainty is that uh, permits are increasingly delayed. Many just aren't happening at all. Timelines are getting longer and longer. And major investment decisions are actually uh, either pulling out of BC or they're, they're, uh, they're not, not uh, uh, coming here in the first place. Uh, the NDP's shoddy engagement process, like we've seen with their uh, Land Act amendments, are fueling distrust and uh, division and creating um, massive uncertainty for all British Columbians. Sadly, it's not only Joffrey Lakes, Pender Harbour, and these Land Act amendments that are examples of this. turns out that the NDP are doing exactly the same thing uh, with their watershed security strategy intentions paper a process that continues their pattern of sidelining the public, this time involving control over water management. On page uh, 10 of the, uh, of the intentions paper, strategic theme uh, 2.1 uh, reveals plans to extend veto-like authority in water decisions, and I quote, uh, identifying options and expectations for joint and consent-based decision-making and statutory decisions, end quote. Mr. Speaker, this is exactly the same path that the NDP have us careening down with their ill-advised Land Act amendments. So my question to the Premier is this. As the Premier did yesterday with the Land Act amendments, will he stand in the House today and halt 
this divisive watershed security strategy, ensuring that when it comes to all public land and water management decisions, that there's no veto provided to anyone and that all British Columbians will be involved in these critical decisions. Minister of Water and Land. Minister. Watershed security uh, in the time of unprecedented wildfires and unprecedented droughts across our province, including in my friend's region, requires our ability to work together as we've been doing Nicola Valley, Coxala, and our hopes is across regions where we bring people together to talk about water scarcity, better planning with the agricultural community who have stepped up in significant ways. And this is work that we need to do together, particularly with First Nations partners. The watershed security strategy, we have funded significant amounts and worked with good partners like the Real Estate Foundation of BC. But you see what the opposition is trying to do here, Mr. Speaker, and it's unfortunate. It's suggesting at a time when we are most needing to work together, are suggesting notions that do not exist, such as the incident uh, the member talked about veto, which is not in the watershed security strategy. It is not in the acts that we brought forward. And it has been described again and again by the First Nations Leadership Council and others as fear-mongering that is unhelpful, it is unnecessary, and it divides people. So as they continue to call for people to come together, they do the exact opposite across the way. That is not a path that we will walk. That is not a path we will walk. We will members, work on these important members. issues like drought and wildfire and watershed security, which I would have thought this House would have been able to Order come members. together and work together members. on. We're dedicated to this work. It's important we are almost work. Done. It's, it's the work of reconciliation, and we'll continue to do that work together. I look forward to it. Thank you. The balance question period, Madam Clerk.